All right. Good morning. Good to see you here today. So thankful that you've joined us for worship. Thanks to all of you that are online. Really grateful you're here. We are going to be in Romans chapter 13 this morning. Romans chapter 13. If you need a Bible, there should be one in the chair right in front of you. Uh, But it's going to be Romans chapter 13. We've been in a series in the letter to the church at Rome for months now, and, uh, and we're picking up in chapter 13. While you're turning there, let me, just, uh, let me just remind you once again about Easter Sunday. So as you, as you looked at those times and you thought about, ah, oh, wow, I think I'll come at 9 or 10.30. I could feel you, like 9 or 10.30, that's when I'm going to come. We have two other services, 7.45 and 11.45. Why? Because on that particular day, uh, we celebrate the resurrected hope of Jesus, and for some reason, the 600,000 people in the 4B area also feel that in their bones, and they show up at church in great numbers. Uh, Last year, we could not accommodate in three services the number of people that we had here. Uh, We've moved to four. So what does that mean? That means for people like you that are here most weeks, that we need you to do some things. Uh, and and, and the, re- the why behind it is really important. If you know me well enough, you know I'm not a church growth. Uh, I don't, what I care about is people hearing the gospel message of Jesus. And they're open that day. And so when they come here, if they can't get in or if they have to like sit somewhere else, it's just really, really hard for them. And so... Um, they're gonna come and they're gonna find out that they gotta drop their kids in four different buildings and they're gonna be like 10 minutes late, 20 minutes late to the service and all that. And we just need space for them. And they're mostly gonna come at nine and 10.30. And so if you can come at 7.45 or 11.45 and make room for one family, one person that, that may need to be here to hear that gospel message, that would be a huge help. So here's what we're asking you to do to, 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 to decide which one you'll come to, and then invite one. Every one of us in our lives, we should have one person, at least, one person that we think, man, if they could know the hope of Christ, their life would change dramatically. Why would we not want people to know the resurrected hope of Jesus? And so we want you to to pick your service, but also invite one person to come that particular day uh, and serve in one particular hour. So when you have like 2,000 plus people on a cam- campus on a day, it's a lot of behind the scenes, and we need everything from coffee to kids. I went out and looked uh, outside, and the volunteerism on the table is leaning toward coffee and away from kids, and, uh, and so I wanted to encourage you that the coffee is important, but kids 20 years from now are really important. They're really important now, but they're gonna, be, they're gonna become what God has for them. And you have the opportunity to, to plant uh, the gospel seed in their life that day. So uh, we need your hands, your feet, the words of your mouth, the meditation of your heart that day. There's a table in the back. You can sign up to volunteer, and uh, I'd love for you to do that. That day for me, is, it, is about, uh, it is about us, but it's, it's about so much more. It's about the community that we invite to come and hear about Jesus, and so I hope that you'll, you'll do that. So thanks. Romans chapter 13, would you stand with me? We're going to jump right into it. It is a mouthful, and it is, it is a difficult application. It's simple in a way, but also you'll see, you'll feel it when we, go, when we go through it. 
So Romans chapter 13, beginning of verse one, we'll read the whole chapter. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honored honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You can be seated. See, I told you. <clears throat> it's a lot. So what I want to do today, we have, we have been in this series in, in the letter of Romans. It is a letter that really was meant to be read from start to finish. So we kind of break it up in chunks for sermon purposes, because we don't have seven hours to preach the whole, the whole letter of, of, of the, to the Romans each and every Sunday. But, but you need to read it as a whole. The first 11 chapters is this amazing doctrinal treatise, probably the most profound in all of the New Testament, that basically tells us that, that God is the sovereign king of the universe, that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to save us from our sins. Maybe my, my favorite verse in, in all of Romans 1 through 11, chapters 1 through 11 is Romans 5, 8. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It tells us that in his sovereignty, he loved us that way. He pursued us that way. And he also tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10 that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a good indicator in Romans 1 through 11 that we are, we're not just saved, that we're transformed, we're given a new life, we're promised an eternity that is a completely a, a rest, restoring of all things, where there's no more sin, no more crying, no more shame anymore, and, and it, it is, it's profound. It's like it's, everything is made right in Jesus for those who will believe. 
Everything changes, our hearts, our minds, the way that we live. Romans 12 to 16 is, okay, in light of all that, in light of your new identity, your salvation, your future, in light of who you are in Christ, this is how you should live. And Romans 12 opens up with, you should be living sacrifices, wholly acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And it, it just kind of goes on. We get to Romans 13 today, and Romans 13 talks about how we should live in society, because how we live in society really matters. Now, I'll remind you that the original hearers of this letter, it's thought by scholars that Paul wrote this during the reign of Emperor Nero. It's possible it could have been Claudius, who uh, Claudius is, you don't know much about him because he was, uh, was kind of crazy. I don't have a good word for him. He was, uh, he was not the, the, the most evil not the best, but just would have been not, not great as a Christian to be under him. But if it's Nero, Nero's a persecutor of Christians, 100%. And so this church is receiving this letter, and it begins this way, let every person be subject to the governing authorities under one of these two emperors. It had to be a hard it had to be a hard listen. Are you serious? Because these people, when you think about them, they have, you know, in that, that society, in Roman culture, Jesus is not the king of kings. Caesar is the king of kings. These people, whether Jewish background or Roman background in that church, have said, no, Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. And that's a hard choice in Rome. They have... They have been persecuted because they, they have chosen not to worship patron gods of the guilds that allow them to work. And so the guild, the people that lead the guilds are pushing them out of work. So they're suffering. Economically, they're suffering. The, the culture is radically different uh, than the biblical worldview in, in first century room, particularly when it comes to the biblical sexual ethic. That's why you always hear Paul mentioning sexual immorality and orgies. We're like, what in the world? But it was, it was rampant in that, that, that time frame. Uh, this, is, this is where they find themselves. And, and Paul's saying, okay, in light of all this, in light of who you are as a Christian, this is how you should live in society because it matters. And so <clears throat> he begins by saying, and this is the first observation, that we subject ourselves to governing authorities. Civil governing authorities. And he makes some assumptions. There are some assumptions you can draw from the text here that Paul is assuming as he writes this. The first assumption is God is in control and nobody secures a position of rulership unless God permits it. In other words, Caesar's not the king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords and God is sovereign over all of it. Now, in that time frame... The, the, the people didn't get to elect Caesar. They, Caesar was appointed from family to family, and he appointed rulers. We're bottom up. We get what we ask for, right? And so, but either way, God is sovereign over all of it. This was Paul's assumption. The second thing is, his second assumption is ordered govern, government it's not a human device, but something of a divine origin. There is order in the pattern of how God rules and ordered governments 
in the worlds are patterned after that. Finally, the third assumption that the ruler has special dignity, but is 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 he, but Paul stresses is subordinate to God. Right? So these are the three assumptions that kind of frame everything he's getting ready to say. Now, there's one scholar I read this week, I thought it was the funniest, I, it made me laugh in my my study because it's it's hundred percent accurate. This guy, uh, Dr. O'Neill, he said, no passage has caused more unhappiness and misery than this one. And it's true. It's 100% accurate. How many of you have some kind of come and take it paraphernalia in your home, maybe wearing a t-shirt right now? You know, I mean, it's like who we are in our bones. It's how we were formed. And so some of this is hard to hear, but I just wanna say to you that it will also be hard to hear for the first century church at Rome because they're being persecuted and also being told to be subject to the governing authorities. This is a very difficult word. Now, Jesus talks about it and Paul talks about it and Peter talks about it. Jesus was on the side of the Sea of Galilee one day with his disciples and one of them gets this itch and starts thinking like like we think. Like since we follow you now, since you're the king of kings, do we have to pay taxes to Caesar? Like is there some sort of loophole here for us? And Jesus says, hey, uh, go, go get a fish. They, they get a fish, they bring it back, they pull out two, two coins, one for Peter, one for uh, Jesus. In Mark chapter 12, verse 17, Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Now, what's on a, what's on a drachma? Well, you have Caesar's image on that drachma. So obviously that's Caesar's. But what, where is the image of God? It's on each one of us. We were created in the image of God. And Jesus profoundly in one line is saying, give that menial thing to Caesar. Go ahead and give it to him. But you give to God what is God's, all of you. Yeah. Uh, but this is how we relate to civil government. We're going to pay our taxes, boys. Right? Now, uh, Titus. Paul is, is telling Titus, like, this is what you should say to your church. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remember Uh, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. What? Perfect courtesy toward all people. I mean, that's, that's a high bar. How many of you feel like that's a high bar? And they didn't have social media. I mean, this was just real life. You know, all people, are you kidding me? Then 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 to 17. Peter says this to the church at Asia Minor who was persecuted. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Again, if I'm in that church hearing that letter, I'm thinking, honor the emperor? That's, that's a hard listen. 
That's a high bar in civil society, and yet, repeatedly, this is, this is what we're being called to. We subject ourselves to governing authorities. How many of you know it's bad to run from the cops? Right? Some of you have done this, and you would testify. It's not good. Why? Because they're in authority. They've been placed in an authority in the, in the local way or the state government, the federal way, and when they say stop, you stop. This is that simple. We subject ourselves to the governing authority, but, but it goes beyond even just uh, the police. Now, what Paul does not address here, I, I think we have to realize he's not trying to cover every situation. He is trying to cover Christian citizenship. What does this look like in first century Rome? But what is he not covering? He, he's not answering the question, when is it right to rebel against unjust tyranny? He doesn't answer that question. He's not answering the question, what do we do when there are conflicts between civil or religious authorities? Like when the religious authorities are saying, no, it's like this, and the civil authorities are saying, no, it's like this, and there's massive conflict. What do we, what do, we do there? He's not addressing what to do when the state asks the citizen to do something that is against the law of God. He's not addressing that here. There's a great example in history. There are many examples in history. One of them that is profound that, that you may have thought of uh, even before is, is just, but just put yourself in this situation. It's a little closer to home. Let's say you are a German Christian under Adolf Hitler. How do you read this? Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. So I don't think Paul is addressing every every angle. But I think he's generally telling us, like, this is how we roll as citizens. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, man, if you've never read his the autobiography by uh, Eric Metaxas, read that. It's about this thick, it's really good. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and there's other, other authors who have written biographies on him you could read. He stood up in that time frame against Adolf Hitler. It got him killed. But as far as I can tell, he did, he held up the truth in love over and over and over again. But it got him killed. I don't think Paul's addressing every issue here. Uh, the Bible's clear about what to do when the state asks the citizen to do something that's against the law of God. There's an example in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Uh, Peter and the disciples are brought before the Sanhedrin because they've been preaching the gospel message of Jesus Christ. There's big debate. They're thrown in jail. Finally, they're released, brought back before the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of, of Judea, and they say, just don't do it again, basically. And Peter says, Acts 5, 29, but Peter and the apostle answered, we must obey God rather than men. And this is, this is our mantra. As people who worship King Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who are uh, solely about his kingdom and its expansion in the world today, he is our authority. Now, what I would like to say to you is, our authority, the sovereign king of the universe, is telling us through his word many different times, be subject to the civil government. Subject yourself. You know what that means, right? Submit. 
to the governing authorities. It's a hard thing for us. We're Texan, right? I live in South Harris County. How, does anybody else live in South Harris County? Like right across the creek, just the other side. Uh, North Galveston County, raise your hand. Mid County, anybody? South County, like way, one guy, good. Do you know that all those places have radically different governing authorities? Uh, every Christian throughout history has had to live these passages of scriptures under radically different governing authorities. So we understand this, that Christ is our king, that kingdom is our home, that the ever-expanding kingdom is our home, that, that we are citizens of heaven, ambassadors for Christ. The biblical worldview is such that every follower of Jesus is a, is a, is a citizen of heaven, another place, because you've been given a new identity, see Romans chapter 1 through 11, and a new home. And where you put your feet and where you lay your head at night, this is, this, is, uh, this is your mission field. This is the crossroads. This is the place God has placed you. It's home, right? I love the United States of America, honestly. I've, in my lifetime, I've had the opportunity to travel all over the world in some of the craziest places you can uh, imagine. And uh, I know what it's like to be the only guy in the room that everybody kind of hates just because I'm from here. I know what that feels like. I love to come home. I love it when I go through the, the thing and, the, and I hand the guy my passport and he's like, where you been? And I tell him and he's like, was that crazy? Welcome home. I'm like, thank you. I'm glad, so glad to be home. Because you know you kind of check your rights at the door when you leave. It's kind of weird that way. When you come home, have all these rights. It's awesome, right? So we live in a country that's, that's, dip, that's in, in, in a, amazing in, in one way, but I wanna say a word about politics in light of all this. And also it's Super Tuesday next week. Where I thought, Lord, why? Why would we do Romans 13 <laughs> now? Why? I'm not that good, not that smart. I didn't line this up, but this is where we are. So I want to say a word about politics in light of this. Um, we live in a country that gives us the freedom to speak. Not everybody does. It costs the average citizen more in other places to stand up for what is true than it does us here. We live in a country that affords us the right uh, to speak truth. We have the right to vote as citizens. We have the right to vote, which means we have, each one of us has this one unique opportunity to have our voice be heard. The first century church at Rome, they didn't have that. This is Caesar. That's what you gotta deal with. He appoints the proconsul, the governor, the, all, the senator, all that kind of stuff. In our, our, our world, we get, to, we get to say, this is who we would like to see in a place of office. And we should exercise that right to vote. As Christians, we should definitely exercise these rights. We should call out tyranny, and we should work for more righteous, more right policies, and within our power, more righteous pundits. 
We should. But it's not because, primarily, it's not because we are Americans. Primarily, in fact, I would say if you read the Bible, we have to take the word primarily out, and we say, we would have to say it's because we're citizens of heaven. And Jesus said, pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as ambassadors for his kingdom, we want to see the kingdom come right here in the Forbes area, right here in the North Galveston County, right here in South Harris County, all this Forbes area, we want to see his kingdom come. And we are the salt and light. We are the ambassadors of heaven, filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing the truth. So we do, we have the, 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 the unique and important responsibility to be involved, to be engaged, to speak up. I'm just going to be real with you. This is what I think. It's not written in the Bible, but this is what I think. I think we, we as a country, are in a time of, of turning. And like even this year, probably we have the opportunity to elect one of two wicked men. We just have to decide who's less wicked. I know some of you hate that, some of you love that, some of you are all in between. I'm just looking outside biblical perspective, trajectory, different directions, but Proverbs 29, verse 2. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. All I'm saying is, you've had groaning for cycles, too. Just different kinds of groaning. You're going to have more groaning. The next cycle, it's just going to be pick your groaning. So what do we do? How do we live in that? How do we uphold our faith in the midst of that? How do we make a difference in the, in the, the country that we love? And I know some of you are here like, no, there's a third party. Hey, if that happens... You can tell me I was wrong. I did, it's just what it looks like to me. So what did, what, did, what did Paul do? What did Peter do? What did Jesus do? Generally, no matter who the president is, no matter who the governing authorities are, our posture is subject, subjection to the governing authority as Christian citizens. Generally. Paul, if you study Paul, he always uses his rights to the fullest in Rome. Hey, Give me an audience with the people in authority. Hey, give me an audience with the governor. Give me an audience with Caesar. In Rome, I'm gonna exercise my rights to speak. Got him killed, probably. What about Jesus? He was dragged before Pilate, who's the Roman consul, just before his crucifixion, and Pilate was confused. That's probably the right term. The Jews were like, crucify him, insurrection. He's a, he's a threat to the peace of Rome. And Pilate's like, oh, I don't see anything that 
magnificent here. No threat. And he, he, he molds it over and over again. He begins to exercise his authority. And in John chapter 19, verse 11, it says, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has greater sin. So Jesus is telling him the truth. But in love, he's not going ballistic in there. He's, he's tough. He's strong. But you don't see Jesus gets crucified for insurrection, tyranny against the government. That's how it would have been viewed then. We think, oh, he died to save us on the cross from our sins because we know the theology. Then that moment, tyranny against the government, insurrection, which he had no part of. So what do we do when wicked rulers rule and we're called to be subject? Well, Paul goes on here. And this is where it gets, we usually kind of end right there and call it a day and make up our own mind. But listen to what he says in verse 8 to 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the, the, the law. Verses 8 to 10, a lot of people will use this and say, you should have no debt in your life ever. If I, I could not have bought a house if I had that rule. In fact, what the scripture teaches us, there, there is a sidebar, I wish I could talk about debt for 30 minutes, but I don't have time right now. Generally, get out of it, uh, but pay your, pay your debt on time and don't overextend yourself. <laughs> but this is not a prohibition against debt. This is a metaphor to say like, look, you owe Caesar taxes, pay them to Caesar. There are many debts you, you may owe. You may one day pay your house off and you may say, that, okay, that debt is over. You may pay your car payment off and you may say, okay, that car is paid for, that debt is over. And Paul is saying, okay, don't strive to owe no one anything except to love each other for, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. He's saying that there is a debt that can never be fully paid and that is the debt of love. As Christians, we might say we, we, we paid off our house, but we can never say, I've done all the loving I need to do. We don't get to say that. We're the first century Roman or 21st century American. Paul is saying like in a civil way, pay your debts, pay your taxes, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but you'll never pay this debt. The one who loved you, he requires you to love back. Jesus said it this way, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 to 40, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Paul goes on here in verses uh, 13, nine and following to say, you, you shall not commit adultery, murder, steal, covet, all these things. All the commands are summed up in this verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling the law. This love of God and love of neighbor that Jesus called us to is the fulfillment of the law. This is how we do it. So as we are subject to governing authorities and rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar, Caesar's, honoring the emperor, but loving the brotherhood and fearing God, our our strength, our leverage in society is to love like nobody else loves. 
Now, I told you, Roman, Romans, Roman, their definition of love is lust. That's the definition of Roman love. I hate to do this to you, but have you ever thought of the origin of the word romance? Roman, right? And under Roman, this, guys, this is to give you an out. We don't have an out here. You should romance your wife. But here's the thing. Their view of love was not agape. It was not unconditional. It was not relentless. It was lust. What can you do for me? In every way, in every relationship. And they're redefining it. This is, this is the, the point Paul is making. Like, be subject to the civil authorities. Pay honor to Caesar. Give, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Honor to the proconsul, but fear God and love the brotherhood. Like, let's redefine love like Jesus did. Back to Romans chapter 1 through 11. While we, we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, it's a magnificent magnificent love because we've been so loved. We love the way of living. This way of living for the Christ follower never ceases. It doesn't matter if you're in Iran today or 21st century America today or first century Rome. No matter what your situation is, this applies. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul loved even government officials. And we see this in the book of Acts, there was a time in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey, but Roman Asia Minor. It's a big port city. It's, it's, it's Neochorus, which means it's known for the worship of Artemis. People travel from all over the world to worship Artemis. The temple of Artemis in Ephesus is the biggest one in, in, in the Roman Empire. Uh, people come from everywhere to worship Artemis. And it says in the book of Acts that Paul set up shop in Ephesus for a while and he began to teach in one of the government buildings. And uh, it, it, as he was there for a while and shared the gospel, many people started coming to Christ. And this bothered a particular, particular guild in the society. They were silversmiths. And these silversmiths, they made trinkets and idols for Artemis. And so you could go up and down the main street at Ephesus, all these silversmiths had shops, and you could buy like you would buy a cross today or any kind of Christian jewelry. You could buy an Artemis idol to wear around your neck, Artemis earrings, Artemis necklaces. You could buy Artemis idols to put in your home, Artemis artwork. The silversmiths were making a lot of money on Artemis. Well, as more people started coming to Christ, they began to make less money. And so they determined Paul is our problem because he's been here. He's been sharing the gospel. They've all heard it from him and his disciples. Clearly, they know what the problem is. And so they go to the Agora, the square. They pull everybody together. And this guy, Demetrius, the silversmith, he starts a riot. And this riot gets so big and so loud, they take it into the theater. And the proconsul from Ephesus is all in the book of Acts, chapter 19. The proconsul from Ephesus goes running into the theater, and it says that the people were shouting in the theater, Artemis of Ephesus, over and over again for hours. Paul gets it in his mind, according to the text, that he's going to go down there to the theater. I think this guy is 
got a lot of chutzpah. He's, he's like full of the spirit. And I think he has a lot of zeal. And I think he's thinking, man, what a great, I've 10, 10 20,000 people in one place shouting Artemis of the Ephesians. Why can't I just, uh, just tell him who God really is? That's what I think he's thinking. And so in Acts chapter 19, verse 31, it says, and even some of the Asiarchs who were his friends sent to him and were urging him not to venture in the theater. Now, who are the Asiarchs? The Asiarchs are the Roman wealthy power structure for all of biblical Asia Minor, officing in Ephesus. These are the most powerful people in the entire Roman Asia Minor world. And what we find is that they're concerned about Paul because they were his friends. I don't know if they were Christians or not, but they were his friends. And see, I learn a lot about this little statement. Here's what I know about Paul. He shared the gospel with zeal. He had passion. He was drugged before kings and governors and all kinds of things. He shares his story. You can read all about it in the book of Acts. He shares his story over and over again, how Christ saved him, how everything changed. He uses his citizenship to impact the entire Roman culture. He upholds the truth and love all the time. But he sees himself as a diplomat for King Jesus. He knows the Asiarchs, and they are his friends. They probably worship Artemis. But for some reason, they care about him. And I think that's because he gets the whole love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself thing. He lives like this. He's not standing on, a sign, uh, on the side of the road with a sign picketing. He's in their lives relationally. It says that he has, uh, he's teaching from a government building in, in the book of Acts in Ephesus. How do you get to teach the gospel from a government building? A government official gives you access to the government building. That's the only way. If we wanna plant a church and we wanna use the school, guess where we gotta go? government official. We need favor from a government official to let us plant a church in there. Same thing with Paul. He had favor with the governing officials. And I think it's because of how he loved people, how he approached people. He's a pretty amazing guy changed by Christ. But I think we can take a lesson. We pay our debts and we live an indebted life of love. That's just the way it is. And finally, Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14 says, we do this, we live with a sense of urgency. Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I mean, the flesh and its desires, this is what love is wrapped up in in Rome. It's lust. But here, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have eternal life, that's a different love. And they can't just hear about it. They need to see it demonstrated. It's got to come out in the hands and feet of the Christ follower. So if you're in that church in first century Rome and you're hearing everything from be subject to the government, love God and love people, and make sure that this is the phrase that that just strikes me hard. Let us walk properly as in the daytime not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us walk properly like it's the daytime. 
he's kind of getting at for the church of Rome, it's quite possible that many of you have a double life. We would say it this way. I would say it this way. Uh, my backstage, what you can't see back there, needs to meet my front stage. So here, with the lights and the video and you sitting there, you're not talking back to me. I'm just giving you a, dot, a monologue. I can be and say anything I want to be and say. When I go back there, you don't see me backstage. What if I'm something different? What if you begin to hear, like, that guy, if you really knew him? You're backstage as a Christian. You're backstage has to meet your front stage. You walk properly in the daylight. If you're Christian, you're Christian everywhere. In your politics, in your persuasion, in your, in your sexual ethic, in your relationships, in how you relate to non-Christians, how you relate to government officials, how you do work in society, how you pay your bills, how you render your taxes, all of it, according to Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, matters to the ever-expanding kingdom of Jesus in the world, in, and particularly for us in North Galveston County, South Harrison County, Mid-County, and South County, and maybe Brazoria County. I left you out, didn't I? Brazoria, come on, raise your hand. All right, sorry about that. Sorry about that. It matters. And I want to leave it at that. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. So, Father, we have... Uh, just like the, the, the original hearers, the, 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 our Roman brothers and sisters that sat and listened to this letter for the first time, we have heard some hard, hard things to get our mind around today. And Lord, I pray would you, by, by the power of your Holy Spirit that dwells inside of each of us as Christ followers, would you give us your mind, your way of thinking? Uh, God, we do want to be salt and light in this culture. We're thankful you put us in this land and and, and for the stories that we could tell that, that would, would illuminate how we all got here. We know we're citizens of heaven, but you've made this our crossroads, our mission field. And so, Lord, could we live in society, in this society, in such a way that's pleasing and honoring to you. Use us to make a difference. Help us to exercise our rights with courage and compassion. Help us to lean in when falsehood is ruling the day. Help us to uphold the truth and love. Help us to, to have favor with, with people like the Asiarchs. We trust you're sovereign over all of it. We are simple men and women, but you've placed us here for a purpose. Would you help us to live it? In Christ's name, amen.